So let's suppose for just a moment that there really is a God. You're like, well, why do you think I'm in church this morning, Tom? That's kind of my assumption to start with. We thought it was yours. Has something changed? No, but I understand that in a crowd this big uh, that there could certainly be folks here, and we hope you are here, that are wondering about what it means uh, to be in a relationship with a God if there is a God. And certainly those who are followers of Jesus deal with doubts at times and wondering, looking at the circumstances of their life, is this real? Did did I get this right? So let's assume for a moment that it is. Let's assume for a moment that there is a God. Let's also assume for a moment that we aren't as good as him, that we haven't lived up to the standard that he has set, and we need some help. We can't save ourselves, so to speak. Let's assume that there is a heaven and there is a hell. And heaven is paradise. It's being in the presence of God and and it's being in the presence of God without any pain, without any suffering, without any struggle. Uh, And let's assume for a moment that hell is a place where uh, you have to pay for the the sins you have committed. That, That is the expression of the judgment of a holy and righteous God. Now let's assume for a moment that you have a choice which way you go. Which are you going to pick? I've had this conversation with lots of people over my lifetime. And and I've talked to literally hundreds of people one-on-one with that same kind of conversation. And every time I come to the end and we get to that question, people might say, Tom, I'm still not buying it. I, I don't necessarily believe there's a God. Uh, or I'm not convinced it's the God of the Bible, the one in whom you believe. But every one of them, 100% of them has said, well, if that's true, I want paradise. I don't want hell. (laughs) That's a relatively easy decision to make. And for many people who believe in Jesus as their Savior, that is the choice they have made. They understand their brokenness. God has revealed to them their need for a Savior, and they've put their faith in Christ in order that they might be saved for this world and for the next. The challenge is that sometimes we kind of put a period there and we stop there. And we, we measure the grace of God in terms of salvation. Now, trust me when I tell you that that's exactly what the Bible preaches, that it is about faith in Christ for salvation. But also trust me when I tell you that is not all that the Bible has to say about our lives lived as believers in Christ on this earth. So what we're going to begin this morning and what we're going to do for the entire fall, right up until the the week before Thanksgiving, is we're going to talk about what the Bible says about what it means to follow Jesus. And we're going to ask the hard questions about that relationship. We're going to start it off this morning by looking at one verse. It's going to be the theme verse for the entire fall. It's in Luke's gospel, chapter 6, and it's verse 40. And you won't find the word follow in this sentence, but it has everything to do with following Jesus. So as we prepare our hearts and minds to discuss this, hear the word of God. Just one verse, Luke chapter 6, verse 40. Jesus is talking to his followers He's talking to his 12 guys. He's not talking to the crowds. He's talking to people that profess to believe in him. And he says this, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word to him alone be glory. Let's pray for just a moment. 
Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that we gather here on Sunday mornings not to hear my word or the words of anybody else who's standing in this spot. We come to hear your eternal truth, that it might penetrate our hearts and minds, that it might be applied to our lives, that it might transform us. Father, I know many of us come here this morning with uh, thankfulness in our hearts uh, for a relationship with you. Others come this morning wondering whether or not that's true. Uh, we look at the sin in our lives and we're maybe not even sure we could possibly be a Christian and think the way we think or act the way we act. And others of us, Lord, maybe you're curious. Uh, we're not sure what we believe, but uh, it, it's an interesting proposition. And, and so we're maybe here to check it out. And others, Father, are probably here saying, nope, not for me. I'm here because a spouse asked me or my mom and dad made me be here, whatever the case may be. Lord, you know every one of us. You know the motives that brought us here this morning. You know whether our hearts are in a good place or a tough place or somewhere in between. And thank you that you're the one that speaks through your word. So, Lord, we come to hear your voice. Your voice is the voice we need to hear. If we don't hear your voice, it's hopeless, and it is, uh, we are helpless. So, Lord, we pray that you would teach us this morning. We pray that you would speak the message to each person in this room, including the person who's delivering the message, what you want us to hear and know and understand and apply to our lives concerning your grace and your mercy and your kindness for your people. Father, forgive my sin. Please don't let me stand in the way or be a hindrance of you, your teaching this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What Jesus is speaking about here in this statement that he makes to his disciples is really about a relationship. It's, it's not about kind of a one-time deal and then we all kind of move on and, and go our own way. What Jesus is referring to here is a relationship between a teacher and a student, or you could also say perhaps between a leader and a follower. And so we've entitled the fall sermon series, Following Jesus, and we're going to consider that question from a wide variety of angles over the next 12 or so weeks. Uh, but what it really comes down to, what all this is going to boil down to each and every Sunday uh, and throughout, throughout the whole fall for the entire series is really trying to answer one simple question, which is our sermon in a sentence this morning. It is this, do I really want to follow Jesus? Do I really want to follow Jesus? Jesus. Now, in order to answer that question, you need to have some information. You need to know, well, what exactly does that entail? Uh, you know, if I say to you, follow me, you know, well, Tom, where are we going? If I say to my kids when they were little, come on, everybody get in the car. Nobody just went, yes, father, we shall get in the car because thou hast told us to get in the car and we will buckle our seatbelts and we will not elbow each other in the head or kick each other. We'll just get in the car. We completely trust you where we're going. Now, where are we going? And if I said, we're going to the doctor, you know, then you had to, we're going to grab them and forcibly put them in the car. If they were going for ice cream, you know, they beat each other up trying to be the first one in. You know, where are we going? What does it look like? What's this journey? What's this relationship all about? And so we're going to try to pick that apart through the lens of Scripture because this is the most important question you could ask for yourself in your lifetime is, do I really want to follow Jesus? So from kind of the 35,000 foot this morning, introduction wise, we're going we're gonna to make four comments about following Jesus. The first one is this, following is the offer. Following Jesus is the offer. It's all 
four Gospels, Jesus says, in one shape or another, come along, but not be a partner, not, hey, go, you lead sometimes, I'll lead other times. Jesus says, come on, get in line and follow me. In Matthew's Gospel, he says, follow me to the first couple of guys he met on this journey. He says, I will make you fishers of men. You could tell right away who's in charge here, who's the leader, and who's supposed to be the one tagging along, being the student, being the apprentice, being the one who's being mentored. Jesus is offering for folks to come and follow him. Later on, he, he takes it to a really deep and profound level, and we'll talk a little bit more about this this morning and actually throughout the series. He says this, if you make this choice, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That, that's a whole different level of being fishers of men. <laughs> now we've gone to a real serious relationship that, that, that has some cost involved and, and probably has some fear involved And in, well. It's important that we understand what that means. In Mark's gospel, in Mark chapter 10, we read the following. You lack one thing, Jesus says, to someone who's saying, hey, I want to go to heaven. I want to be in right relationship with God. And I, I've done all this good stuff. Am I good? Are we square, Jesus? And Jesus says, one thing you lack. Go sell everything you have. Give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. In Luke's gospel, Luke says uh, Jesus sees uh, a guy named Levi one day, and he's a tax collector. He's a, he's, a, he's a guy that nobody likes. He's a very, very, to say he's unpopular would be a complete understatement. He says, come follow me to Levi. And Levi gets up later on following me. But it's interesting, if you have a red letter Bible where everything Jesus says is in red letters, you get to that paragraph, there's nothing in that paragraph read except those two words, follow me. In John's gospel, Jesus makes a statement about this. I am the light of the world. <laughs> not I'm one of the lights of the world, not depending on which light you pick, I could be one of your options. Jesus says, I am the singular, the only light of the world. He goes on later on to say, if you don't follow me, you walk in darkness. I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. In all four gospels, and I've only given you a handful of them, if you, if you put following in, you'll get about 89 different passages in, in the gospels. And some of those are about the crowds following Jesus, but I've given you a handful of these, but Jesus makes it very, very clear. It's about following. Now we are invited to watch a lot of different things, aren't we? I mean, I, the, the, the blues were, were going for the Stanley Cup. They didn't invite me to participate. <laughs> they didn't ask me to be, be part of the team. They invited me to watch and to pay them to watch them as they went on the journey. And I gladly spent that money. It was a lot of fun, but I was watching. As a staff, we'll often kind of compare notes to each other. What are you watching right now? What, what, what's a good show that, that you have going? You binge watch anything? Because I'm kind of out of shows. I'd like, to, you know, I'd like to see another story of some kind, but we're watching. We're observing. We're, we're fans. We're, we're folks that are, and if you have a good show, by the way, I'm kind of in between. I got, anybody watch Bosch, the detective, LA detective? It's okay, but it's not like blowing me away. So I need, I need something new. Poldark was really good, but I did that and like, Cindy was out of town. I did that in like a week. Um, it's four seasons I did it. I was binge watching. Um, but I was an observer. I wasn't active in the story. I was watching that's not what Jesus says. Jesus doesn't say, come and watch me. Jesus doesn't say, why don't you sit on the sidelines and uh, cheer me on? 
Jesus doesn't say, why don't you sit back, observe all of this, and then critique it and tell me what you think. Jesus says, I invite you to follow my lead. That's the invitation. Now, Jesus is not saying you have to work for your salvation. Salvation is by his grace and mercy through what he did on the cross. But that is not all of our relationship. That is the foundation of our relationship. The rest of that grace and faith works its way out in our lives as we follow Jesus. That's the offer. Secondly, following is the offer. Following is defined as emulating, as being like. Let's go back to Luke chapter 6, verse 40. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Becoming like Jesus is the goal. Let me give you an example that Jesus gives. In John chapter uh, 13, he's talking to his disciples. He's talking to a small group. Now he actually, he started with 12. Now he's down to 11 when he has this conversation. He says to his 11 followers, a new commandment I give you that you love one another. Now look what it says. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Jesus says, I want you to emulate my lifestyle. Now think about that for just a minute. If you are a student of scripture, and you read that Luke 6, verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 40 group, and that doesn't unnerve you just a little bit. I would offer that you're not really paying attention to what's going on here. The Lord of the universe, the King of kings, the perfect one. He was perfect in his service. He was perfect in his teaching. He was perfect in every human relationship he ever had. He never wronged another person. He was never disingenuous. He was never fake. And he says, guys, just be like me. <laughs> if that doesn't scare you just a little bit, then you're not really thinking too, too carefully about it. But that is the goal that we would be like Jesus. I'm now in the phase of life where I have grandchildren and grandchildren are not a bad thing. They're, they're, they're kind of fun. Now, some of you guys are like, like head over heels, like you're crazy about your, like, you know, your children have ceased to exist. I, I will be honest with you. I'm not that guy. I actually enjoy seeing my children more than I see, enjoy seeing my grandchildren, but I love my grandchildren. And, and they're kind of fun for a couple of different reasons. The first is that they're like toys you don't have to put away. So remember when you were a kid and you get all these toys out and I had army guys and I had everything and I had battle set up and doing everything. And then mom or dad would come and say, put all that away. I wouldn't have gotten out in the first place if I knew I had to put it away. I started just going outside and playing in the yard with like sticks that were laying on the ground. And then my dad came home one day and said, pick up all the sticks in the yard. I'm like, I can't get away from this. But not grandkids. You play with them and you give them back. And that's all you do. It's just wonderful. The second thing that's great about grandchildren is they're like paratroopers that go like behind the enemy lines. So like you give me, go, okay, we're on a mission. Here's what we're going to do. You're going to go over there, and when your dad does this, then you're going to say this, and here's $5, right? <laughs> and then they go and they do that, and then dad blows the gasket. And you get to laugh and laugh and laugh, and your grandchild gets $5 and think you on the moon. It's really great. But there's something about grandkids that you kind of hope that one of them ends up being like you, that you kind of at least get one that's like you. So I'm going to, I have six grandchildren. I'm going to run through them real quick. So there's Lael. She's the oldest. She is exactly like her mom's mom, like her maternal grandmother, Ara. She's, she's Ara. The second one to come along is Avery. Avery is, is if I believed in reincarnation, I would believe that Cindy Ricks and, and Avery Ricks were the same person. They have that, you all call it delightful. I call it sneaky, mean-spirited trickery. 
And they tried out do each other. So I'm 0 for 2. And then Valerie comes along. And Valerie's just like her mama. Valerie's just like Liz. It's just wonderfully dramatic. Everything's big. It doesn't matter what it is. You know, what would you like for breakfast? I don't know. I'm not sure what I want for breakfast. I have to. She's just so fun to watch and be around. But she's nothing like me. And then I had a grandson. Then I had Cole. Like, oh, man, I got a chance here. Maybe, maybe Cole will be like me. Nope, Cole's Nate. He's just like, he looks like him. He, he, at at two, three years of age, he walks like him. He's exactly like Nate. So now I'm over four. So now we go to Katie's kids, and the first one they have born is Mia. And Mia is now four years old. She'll be, she'll be five years old in September. And Katie Ricks is married to the nicest person on the planet. Mike Dinkoff, is that a fair statement? Richard Thompson is the, ni- is the only way he could be married to her. He's the nicest person. <laughs> and she worked for Chris Rothrock. He's sitting over there going, amen, preach it, right? So, and I love Katie. And unfortunately, Katie's like me. But um, Mia's like her daddy. She's sweet. Mia, would you take your plate over to the sink? Yes, Father. I would love to take, I mean, she's just wonderful. So now I'm 0 for 5. But then Landon was born, and I got one. You tell me, huh? Right? So there's the second coming of Tom. I, I told Katie when she was born, I said, you should name him Tommy, because his last name's Thompson, that sounds like a second baseman for the Cardinals to me. Tommy Thompson turns a double play. I mean, I just, that sounds right to me, but his name's Landon, but he's just like me. Not only does he look like me, but he acts like me. So he's always busy. He's always into stuff. And whenever he gets in trouble, Katie, like he's able to reach the water dispenser on the refrigerator now, which we didn't have when I was a kid, but I would have done it too. He goes up and he pushes that button and the water goes out on the floor. And he's just, he's like, I've created a lake. This is just a beautiful thing. And Katie will come in and she'll go, Landon, no, no, no. And Landon will go, no, no, no. And he'll just laugh at her. And he's so cute, she can't, she can't smack him. She can't give him a swat. He's just, you know, and, and it's just funny. But, but he's me. And he also, you don't ever have to tell his kid to go to bed. Because he goes full tilt all day long and then he collapses. And that was me. I would go hard, hard, hard. And nobody had to say go to bed. I'd be like, I'm going to bed. Y'all can stay up as late as you want to. I'm exhausted. So I finally got one. I got one like me. He, lo- he looks like me. He acts like me. I'm going to see him at the end of September. I can't wait to see him. Now, he's not going to be my favorite overall. I'm going to love all of them equally, but there's something about having somebody who's like you. Jesus says, be like me. Jesus says, I want you to look like me. Part of the reason I've come is so that you can understand what it means to be in a relationship with God. I'm in the perfect relationship with my Father, and I want you to be like me. I want you to emulate the way in which I live. Let me give you a couple other examples real quick. We need to move on. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. What is Jesus saying there? He's saying that there needs to be a never-ending spirit of generosity in the heart of all of his disciples. In Matthew chapter 6, he kind of says the same thing, but from the opposite side of the coin. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. What he's saying is make sure you invest the right way. Make sure you invest your time and your energy and your resources, not chasing after things that won't last, but, but after an eternal investment. Now, you look and say, well, Jesus, that's easy for you to say. You've never done that. You, you, you've never, you know, 
been taking your resources and, and, and helped impoverished people. You've just kind of walked around and taught. And if you get hungry, you turn, you know, two, three loaves of bread and two or three fish into, you know, as much as anybody wants. Go to Paul's gospel, 2 Corinthians. Paul's describing the life of Jesus. And he says this, but you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. When Jesus talks to us, even about things like our, our money, our finances, he's been there. He's done that. And Jesus is saying, follow me, become like me. Well, if the first two things are true, if following is an offer and, and following is emulating Jesus, then you've probably come to the, the conclusion before I even say it, following is going to be hard. Following Jesus is hard. If you would come after me, deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. There are two things there. The first is this notion of, of, of denying yourself. And that doesn't mean you go without eating or you go without water, or you go without sleep, that, you know, self-deprecation. That's not what it's about. What he's saying there is don't buy into what the world's selling you. Don't form and frame your life around this notion that the more you get, the better off you're going to be. You need to deny earth's notion of what it means to have a full life, and you need to embrace mine, which is the second part. Take up your cross. Pick up this instrument of death and come with me, and we're going to go on a journey together that's ultimately going to lead to life. And that's why uh, we've chosen this bridge here. I don't know if you've ever been out in the wilderness and walked across a, a bridge like that. I've, I've been across a rope bridge once in my life, and I was really glad when I got on the other side, I found out that I didn't have to go back. It was a very scary experience. Following Jesus is hard. Following Jesus is challenging. When Ann was speaking a few moments ago, she said, hey, ladies, wouldn't it be great if this year, you know, if you're coming to, to WTM, one of our goals is that everybody who comes would bring a friend. Now, I know that there's a whole group of, of folks in here that heard that and went, oh, that's not a bad idea. That, let me think, you know, is it a neighbor? Is it a coworker? Who could I, you know, I'm in the Thursday night group. Maybe I could bring the, you know, the person that shares the office with me. And you began thinking that way. There's another group of people that it kind of didn't even, didn't even kind of hit them. They didn't really think about it. And then there was another group of folks that went, got a lump in their throat and, and their palms started getting a little sweaty and they're just sitting here. Nobody knows that, but it scared them to death because the notion of inviting somebody to go to a Bible study just is a bit unnerving. It's a bit scary. It's okay. That might be your fear. My fear might be something completely different, but it's just as real. We've got to acknowledge, friends, if we're going to be serious about following Jesus, we've got to acknowledge that it's hard. We have to be able to acknowledge that we can't do it on our own strength. Not only is it hard because it's a radical departure from the culture's priorities, but also in John 15, Jesus says, there are going to be folks that work against you. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hates you. Some folks who are, who are family members or are friends are going to think you a fool for following Jesus. There are other people that will be indifferent to it. They're like, well, if that works for you, that's fine. Just don't, you know, don't bother me with it. But there'll be other folks that absolutely hate you because you're a disciple of Jesus. Don't for one second think that isn't true. They might not necessarily say it to your face, but they absolutely abhor your faith in Christ. Are you ready for that? Do you embrace that? Not in like a rude, arrogant way, like, oh, I'll go show them, but saying, okay, Lord, that's part of my cross. Is, is that okay with you? That's tough. That's really, really hard. But it's part of following Jesus. I was at First Watch about two weeks ago 
having breakfast with, uh, I was Pastor Spiller from across the street, uh, and we were first watching having breakfast, and this guy comes in, and I saw him the second he came in, and I, I think everybody in the restaurant turns their head and saw him because he was wearing a Boston Bruins jersey. Yeah, like, really? <laughs> and then they, they brought him in and they put him down and they set him like, like right where Cher, right where you're sitting. He was that close to me. And so as he comes in the whole way, I'm doing this. <laughs> I'm just staring at him. And he sits down, looks at me, and, he, and, I'm, and I'm eyeball to eyeball with him. And he goes, yeah, I know. <laughs> like, <laughs> I said, I got to ask, what are you doing? Did you like lose a bet? And like, you know, people are going to beat me up today. <laughs> he goes, he goes, no. And then I heard his accent. He's like, I'm from there. You know, I got to, I got to stay faithful in my team. And I'm like, brother, I, I applaud you for your faithfulness and for your, for your bravery. That's really impressive. I, I've decided I'm not going to throw something at you while you're sitting over there, you know, but that's a, who is that person? What on earth are they doing? That's how a lot of people react. Not just to the Lord Jesus, but to you as a follower of the Lord Jesus. And our job is to be like Jesus in that moment, not Jonah. Remember Jonah in the Old Testament? If you've never, uh, if you're not familiar with the Bible, go get a Bible and open up. And what's cool about it is you go to the thing called the Old Testament across the top. You scroll, he's got a book written after. So you just go to find Jonah, find his name, and find the page and go read. It's only about three pages long. But Jonah was a guy who was minding his own business one day, just going along happily. And God said, I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to tell them that if they don't get their act together, I'm going to come over there and I'm going to destroy Nineveh. You need to tell them to repent and believe in me. Jonah didn't want to do that because the people who lived in Nineveh were his natural enemies. And so he went the opposite direction. God snagged him and brought him back and said, now go do what I told you to do. So Jonah goes around Nineveh for seven days and he preaches this message. If you don't repent, God's going to come and he's going to wipe Nineveh out. And then he goes outside the city. He finds a tree with big, big leaves that God had provided for him. And he sits down on a tree and he gets his popcorn, he gets his Coca-Cola, and he's going to watch the destruction. He's going to watch the show. Only something weird happened. From the king, it says, from the greatest to the very least, the entire city repented. And they, and they tore their clothes, and they repented in, in sackcloth and ashes. And so God, being just and merciful, did what? He relented. Because they've turned to me, I am going to forgive them. How do you think Jonah reacted to that? He was irate. He was furious. He said to God, kill me now, I want to die. If the Blues had lost the Stanley Cup, I wouldn't have gone that far. I would not have said that. Jonah, he was beside himself with anger. God, you were gonna get these awful, ungodly people, and now I knew you would do this. I knew you'd be merciful, and I knew when they repented, you just ruined the whole thing for me. Sounds a lot like us sometimes. God, go get those folks out there, because they're wrong. And they're mean-spirited towards us. You go show them who's right around here. And we've lost sight of being like Jesus, who loved his enemies, because we were his enemies before we put our faith in him, before he redeemed us, before he transformed us. We need to understand that following Jesus is going to be hard. It's going to go against our earthly nature. It's going to take the work of his Holy Spirit and the work of his word and the fellowship of other believers holding us accountable to the high and holy calling of following Jesus. And fourthly, I want to remind you that there's some good news at the end of this because it is a challenge that following is rewarded. Jesus says in Mark chapter 10, when he's trying to convince the man that we know as the rich young ruler, that's how he's described in, uh, in the gospels, he's trying to convince this man that there's a better way. And so he says, there's one thing you lack. 
You're too wrapped up in the possessions of this world. So you got to get rid of that. It, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to kill you, right? Sell all that stuff. Give it to the poor. They can use it better than you can use it. And then come follow me and you'll what? Have treasure in heaven. There's an outcome here that is glorious. That is beyond description. I can't begin to tell you what the treasure in heaven is going to be, but I can tell you this. You can't begin to get your mind around it right now. It's so incredible. I, I, I kind of was um, told Javi this morning when he showed me this image, I was a little frustrated with him because um, yesterday at my mom's memorial service, Daryl did a wonderful job of talking about Lavernisms. My mom's name was Laverne. And she had all these sayings that if you, if you didn't know what they meant, you'd be like, I'm not exactly sure what she's talking about. But this one kind of goes as a school theme. And she would always say, if you did something right, she would say, well, you get a gold star on your forehead. So Javi's trying to make me cry more than I normally cry by putting that gold star because now I'm thinking about my mom. But the point is what she was saying is, there's a reward. There, there's a positive outcome here when you follow, when, when you go down the right pathway. And Jesus isn't talking about a temporary reward. He's not talking about a five-minute break, and then you got to go back out and dig into the tough stuff again. He's saying there comes a moment where you're going to rest and, and celebrate and party and, and experience everything I have for you for all of eternity. Following Jesus has to be seen in that context, friends. You have to understand that the difficulty of today turns into the glory of tomorrow. And it's not by happenstance. It's not an afterthought. Jesus says in John 14, when his, when his disciples were at about their lowest moment, he reminds them of this. If my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Following Jesus leads to our eternal joy. Do you, do I, really want to follow Jesus? So what we're going to consider for the next 12, 13 weeks. So the application today is actually pretty simple. I need you to go home. I need you to pray about this and think about this. And I'm going to go home and I'm going to pray about this and I'm going to think about this for the next seven days until we come back and we begin to unpack what it means to follow Jesus. Next week, we're going to be in Mark's gospel, the first chapter, and we're going to ask the question about the relationship that Jesus builds as he calls us to follow. But it's a profound and it's a serious question. It's not just about our salvation. It's not just about where we end up. It's today, it's right here, right now, until the moment you close your eyes. And you open your eyes and go, there's Jesus. Up until that moment, do we want to be all in? Pursuing his teaching, seeking to live out his example, his glory for the good of his people. Will you pray with me? Father, we, uh, we thank you for your word. And these next few weeks, uh, we're going to be challenged. Not just to consider believing, but actually following submitting our will to your will. Just as you prayed in the garden, Father, not my will be done, but your will be done. You have given us the supreme example and you have called us to follow you. You've told us it will be hard, but you've also told us that there's a great outcome at the end. So Father, I pray for every one of us in this congregation and the, the, the visitors that may come through our doors, the, the new folks that may show up this fall, Lord, we pray that you would show us the glory and the majesty, the challenges, and, and how you're going to equip us and empower us to follow our Lord Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.